Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hello, everyone. We don't know who you are. You're Substack people. We're working on a new thing here. I am Mary Catherine Ham. She's Kelly Maher. I'm on the East Coast. She's in beautiful Colorado. Uh, she owns a farm. I do not. And we're going to talk about life and touching grass and trying not to get too stressed out and all the things that we write about on our respective Substacks. <laughs> How is it going, exactly. Kelly? It's going well. I mean, so, and this is the thing, right? We've been friends for a very long time. And one of the things that we have always done is we've been kind of the queens of chit chat, right? Yeah. Yep. That's what my my, my husband lovingly and somewhat condescendingly says that my job is a professional chit chatter. And he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. And you know what? Well, exactly. And you know what my answer is to that? And I'm damn good at it, Steve. Yes, exactly. And, and see, so that's the thing is, is in many different facets of our lives, we chit chat and yet our respective husbands who are very similar and, uh, oftentimes our producers of the various projects that we have done over time are like, okay, like let's cut down on the chit chat, get to the meat of it. And you know what? I think people in fact enjoy the chit chat. It's true. It's a real thing. I think I think, Mary Catherine, that they need some chit-chat in their lives. And that's so, why we are here. And so we decided just the other day, yep. at the spur of the moment, yeah. like we often do, but we're really going to stick this one out. Uh, spur of the moment, we said, well, let's just try a podcast on Substack. And it's we're going to call it Meanwhile Back at the Farm. <laughs> because Meanwhile Back at the Farm. Because Kelly has tons of great farm stories that don't get enough airtime, even with her current Substack, which you can find at realbestlife.com. <laughs> Well, and, and your Substack is so good, and I'm really excited that it is continuously growing, and you write such important stuff there. And ultimately, I think that there is just a real opportunity for us to have a little bit of levity, but also talk about some of the issues that we both enjoy talking about with one another that don't necessarily get the daylight that they should. Yeah, so we're going to cover life, parenting, definitely food. food. lots of food speaking of cutting to the meat that's really our main vocation that's what we're into it's true so it's true you will remember by the way mary Catherine, that over a decade ago mm -hmm. maybe maybe even more than that you and i decided to start a similar uh project do you remember that yes and they weren't called they weren't even called podcasts then i don't know what they were called no it was just what we did is we did what was it a google hangout and then recorded it and then posted it and because I just want to that to underscore our abiding love of meat, there are jokes in there. <laughs> there are funny jokes. We called it the war on bacon. Yes. Do you remember this? Yes, because yeah. we were afraid that people were coming for our bacon. But it's one of those things that, uh, that you know, like we were kind of joking about, but sort of is going to come true at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. And this is so. So I think probably for our first podcast we're gonna do a little bit of an origin story who are you who am i how did we become friends what have we uh what is the thing that brought us together and and what are we going to be doing kind of moving forward well i mean right? the most important part of what brought us together was, was two things it was politics and lip gloss yeah. politics oh. and lip gloss so 
we <laughs> were at an event. This is uh, during a short period of Kelly's life, a benighted period when she lived in the D.C. area. I didn't. I didn't live in the D.C. Oh, you area worked. during this time. I I flew. Yes. I flew back to speak to uh, the AFF group. Remember but that? But you were weren't you back and forth at that period because you were working I with Prey? You were working for a yeah, congressman. I, yeah. Yeah. She yeah. was a swamp creature. Anyway, she. she oh my god! I'm just messing the, with you. So says you who lives 20 minutes outside of. The so swamp. she. Uh, so she was coming back and forth, and you were at a uh, a political event. There was a gala. That I yes. also attended a gal. I mean, it was like yes. sort of a fancy event um, for younger conservatives. And so we go to this event and uh, we both had had a few drinks and we ran into each other in the bathroom. And being yep. the raging extroverts that we are, we were like, hey, <laughs> hey, and uh, got into some conversation that involved either remarking on lip gloss or sharing lip gloss. I'm not sure at this point. And um, if not for that lip gloss, we might not be here today. Oh, Kelly's applying some lip gloss now. She has good taste. It's true. So we met discussing that lip gloss drunkenly yes. at a party. <laughs> and then yeah. from then on, we're like, I don't think we were fast friends right away. But I ran into you at another event in Colorado where I was speaking. Yeah. And I said, you hey, were the speaker. you're the girl with the lip gloss. Yeah. Well, also, also uh, for context, if you haven't met us. I am hard to miss, right? Like, it's true. So I was the I was the speaker at this AFF event. They had tried to uh, create a bunch of like state chapters, as do uh, political nonprofits from DC. Always are like, okay, well, what about the rest of the country? And they create these state chapters, and we had created a Colorado chapter. I came out to speak, so I was the speaker, but I'm visually. Uh, yeah, I think hard to miss is the way to put it. I'm six feet tall. Mm-hmm. And so then you came out and we were at some other event. I forget which one. And, and I was like, you're that course, tall chick. The <laughs> you're the girl. Remember the yep. lip gloss? And I think that was really, we ended up hanging out, I think, most of that night. Yeah, I think that's And yeah, and that was that was the night where we like traded phone numbers Started Google Google chatting. Remember that? Oh yeah, was the thing. Oh yeah, and so we used to. Yeah, so that that led to like a text friendship and a Google friend Google chat friendship, and then a very weird early podcast in like 2011 and 12. I think at that time I still had the BlackBerry with the side wheel. Remember that? Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, our our technological advancements have been quite a lot as I, now I can see your yeah. face clearly and we're not bugging on each other every three seconds like we did yeah. in the old days. So it's true. And since that time yeah. we have, let's see, I've had four children. We've been through a lot of life. Uh, <laughs> four. I still don't view you as a mother of four. Well, I, right? I have like... two litters of children. <laughs> two, two sets of two. Yeah. I had two. I had two children. Moved to an urban farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have made a lot of mutual friends. You were really the catalyst for many of my closest friends, and I think, and I think, vice versa. You yes. know, we've 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 created so, we've created a little community, even though we've never lived in the same town. Uh, 
I mean, the thing is, when I was in D.C. briefly, I think we did. We yeah. just didn't know each other, well, which is sad. I have to. This is one of those things where I have to uh, count the blessings of the Internet because I'm, I'm down on the yeah. Internet a lot of times. But uh, oh a lot of my best women friendships in particular are yeah. Internet based uh, and yeah. they're fantastic and they're real friendships. And I would not meet these quirky, wonderful, driven weirdos that I love so much uh, if I did not have access to them over chat and Facebook and other other platforms all the time. It's true. It's true. And, you know, you think about all of the downsides. I often think about all of the downsides of the internet, right? And yet, there is this ability to connect in a way that is just amazing. Yeah. Well, that we never have before. Yeah. I mean, you and I probably would have been friends because it was kind of the the right at the beginning. It was like the end of the MySpace era. Yes. But here's the thing: we yet in the really old days, Twitter, we would not have been friends. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Because we would have why? been really well-meaning and written each other letters, but we never would have mailed them. <laughs> true <laughs> that is very true I mean, like i've that been is... in, in like wearing my wearing my corset and sitting at my writing desk and thinking gosh i really wish i knew where stamps were i can't <laughs> send this to my friend kelly uh without stamps yeah. in an envelope and i can't ha- i cannot muster the executive function to do all three of those things and give it to the pony express and therefore we would not have nope. been friends well, we wouldn't have been friends because uh, without the magic of modern medicine and uh, C-sections, <laughs> I would true. not be alive. She wouldn't be her- <laughs> the, the giant human uh, that Kelly yeah. was, even at birth, would maybe not be with us. But, well, and and the two giant humans I've had, <laughs> like that would have been that would have been toast for everybody. Well, we can be glad a that we a can. that we don't have to mail things, and b that you had that option. <laughs> yeah yeah I, as an aside and by the way if you're listening to this podcast and you know us or you don't know us we are the queens of the rabbit holes that is our skill set and uh if you do not find it charming maybe this is not the podcast for you because this is just the way we communicate but uh i saw an interesting study that i was reading that c-sections actually might be part of the contributing factor of humans getting bigger it is a combination of nutrition and living longer but also the fact that giants like me who would not be alive if not for this modern miracle of medicine would like our genetics would not have been passed that characteristic would have been would have been selected out of the pool yeah. Yep. And then my gigantor sons, who are gigantors, uh, would not exist. Well, we're glad to have them as well. Yeah. Me too. Uh, most days. <laughs> most days. Oh, man. Speaking of which, what, what has been going on at the farm, Kelly? Okay. So, so my substack is Real Best Life. And I, about two weeks ago, wrote a piece. It was the fifth anniversary of my father's passing it was a fairly traumatic thing for me but uh as as it is for everybody it was extra traumatic for me uh and I I wrote a a long format piece about it it went like 
medium viral, right? Which is great and also very stressful because one of the things about growing on a platform is that it it doesn't follow like a linear path, right? It it kind mm-hmm. of like goes up and down and up and down kind of like the sawtooth. And so then the question was, what am I going to follow that up with? So I did kind of an origin story piece for all of the new subscribers, like, hello, welcome to my podcast or my, well, podcast and Substack. Here is how I ended up going from a political strategist and commentator to an urban farmer. And I still have feet kind of in both camps until I finally reach my goal of being a professional goat writer. Love it. Which is a thing that I made up. And because of the magic of the internet, that is a thing that actually could be a thing yep. someday. Uh, so as I work towards that path, it was kind of a reintroduction of how we got here. But what is going on on the farm right now is that I am putting a bunch of baby goats, and I put baby in parentheses, they were born in February. I'm putting them up for sale because they are teenagers. Uh, and teenagers yeah. of every species are obnoxious. Like, so obnoxious. And it doesn't matter. Are they humans? Are they chickens? Are they goats? They are loud. They are all legs and knees and just fall over randomly. I'm having flashbacks to that one time I tried to play basketball for five minutes when I was 14. Didn't go well. (laughs) Poor Kelly. Everybody's looking at her like, you got to play volleyball or basketball. And her body's like, no, 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 I can. We, we know I am not athletic, uh, despite my size and everybody pointing out that I should be. I was right. not. Uh, <laughs> but but so the baby goats are now at this point where they are, every time I walk out the door, they're screaming for a bottle. And they, like, suck down the bottles really fast. And they're entitled. And they fall over. And they're obnoxious. And so I just, I cannot. They have to leave. Mm-hmm. And it's an It's an interesting time in the marketplace, in the goat marketplace, which is not a thing that you would think about necessarily. But because the price of hay is so high, many people are not necessarily getting into goats the way that they would otherwise. And so the price of animals, and this is happening both with goats and we're seeing it with, you know, cows being taken to auction. We're seeing even dairies who are offloading goats to meat or cows to to meat auctions because the cost of maintenance is so high. And so I'm trying to balance making sure that they go to good homes uh, because I, I would like that for my animals and going to people who will appreciate them, but also realizing prices are down on the actual animals because maintenance, maintenance costs are high. high. Yeah. And, and also Goat is delicious, so I'm getting a lot of calls from people who are maybe not specifying that they are looking for dairy goats, mm-hmm. but just want goats. goat. Right. Right. And I can tell the difference because if somebody calls and says, hi, do you have a doe, a bottle baby doe, how much are they milking versus somebody who calls and says, hi, do you have goat? Right. Without yeah. Right. 
And what without an article? And what, uh, do you have a goat? Do you have goat? Do you have go- period? And you're like, <laughs> that is the, okay. that's the easy hack. If there's no A right? in front of it. <laughs> the A, if there's not an article and it's just, do you have goat? It's basically like, like, like is, using the word mutton. Do you have mutton? <laughs> yes. Correct. Correct. Um, and not, by the way, I've eaten my own goats. I will again. Uh, but it is, it does... It's it's like an interesting weird line to be walking yes. right now. Yes. So I'm figuring that out. And then also, speaking of the internet, the other weird thing about the marketplace is that Facebook has a prohibition against the sale of animals. And yet it is the place where many animal people connect because it is a platform where you can search easily and find your group, mm-hmm. right? So for instance... I breed miniature La Manchas, you can find the miniature La Mancha breeders group. Right. By the and way, has thousands just briefly, of... what are the features of that make them miniature La Manchas? What, how do they look different? So uh, first off, La Manchas, which are a full-size dairy breed, are known for having small to no ears. Okay. Yes. That is the main so, one. If you, if you encounter Kelly's is... goats, you're like, huh, interesting. What's missing? Oh, there it is. They look like those weird, like, robot animals in uh, Star Wars, Mm -hmm. right? And you're like, oh, I feel like like there should be a Jedi riding you, like a tiny Jedi (laughs) riding you in a pasture, Right. (laughs) right? So, and mine are miniatures because I'm an urban farmer, which means I don't have a ton of land. And so you breed in a miniature breed, which is the Nigerian dwarf into these. Gotcha. And, um, and so it's a fairly specialized breed. People across the country can all join this group on Facebook, mm-hmm. Miniature La Mancha Dairy Goats. And it's, it's access for people, for other people with a very niche thing. But because Facebook prevents you from selling animals, it has created its own entire language. Oh. <laughs> to to prevent the uh, mods and to prevent the algorithm from realizing that goats are, in fact, for sale. Right. So you will say, you know, up for discussion mm-hmm this goat and then you will put the the and then you will put all of the attributes of said goat mm-hmm. you know like oh i have a bottle baby goat up for discussion and that is the indicator to somebody else that it is in fact for sale and it's the way to circumvent i love the facebook rules markets markets and weird markets and everything right you, like there's yes it will find a way that is that's the thing that's so interesting about it is that it has created this this like entire subculture with its own language in order to circumvent this rule but for people to be able to communicate not to conflate burger eating and goats for the moment but just real quickly it does remind me of like ordering off menu at in and out where there's just like another Mm. language that you're speaking and you have to did that you gotta be in the know dang it there's one right near your house now I forgot that. It is it is a quarter mile behind my house and it was a double double protein style protein and animal style. Girl, good choice. Good choice. I know. I know. 
Ah, uh, I wish you were here. Well, it's been too anyway. long. We we're, we got to make it out this summer. This is one of the yeah, one of the things you... that I avail myself of at Kelly's little farm is that I take my children to learn things yeah. about animals and the circle of life and make them even do some chores. They help take care of the goats and it's very good for them. Uh, and so we just go it to is. like camp Kelly for a couple days per summer usually, but it's been, it's I don't think we went last summer. So we need to fit another check, uh, another trip in. What is, what are you working on, on your sub stack? Uh, well, <laughs> um, what's going on back here? Well, let me, let me start with uh, some parenting stories, uh, as you know, Ooh, because the, yes. it, cause it, 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 it pertains to what I am going to be writing about at mine is called MK hammer time. It's mkhammer.substack.com. And, uh, I write a lot about parenting and particularly resilient parenting because I felt like during, yes. during the pandemic, people needed the message that they could be a different kind of parent and they needed to be strong for their kids as opposed mm-hmm. to freaking everyone out which is what uh, too many yep. people did anyway so i write up i write about those things so in the parenting landscape right now i'm i'm running into and learning a lot about what happens when you have a very different brain from one of your kids so one of my ah. kids her brain as you know functions in this beautiful way that is completely different from mine uh and that can make teaching her tricky uh, and I learned this yeah. during 2020 when, you know, there were no schools and uh, where I come from, because I'm in a blue area that was uh, school stayed shut down for more than a year. And uh, and even then we're only like two days a week when they went back. It was really horrendous. So right. I, uh, being ever skeptical of government functions, when school shut down and when they seem to be making no decisions based on like rational risk assessment and what the risk to children actually was of COVID, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not sure they're going to open back up again anytime soon. And boy, was I right. So I homeschooled (laughs) my kids that year and it was, it was actually, and I know that, uh, that I'm lucky that I have a flexible schedule and all of that, but it actually was very fun. It was rich. We enjoyed it. And I learned a lot about my daughter. I also tried to help other families in the neighborhood who had kids who needed to Zoom school. My main thing was I didn't want them on a screen all day. This poor kid's in first yeah. grade. Like, I don't need her on a screen all day. My my other one was even younger. And, uh, and so we decided to homeschool. So I learned about a, a lot about her brain. She goes back to school in later years. Uh, we, we, chose, right. we chose a little private school down the street which I never thought I would do. I was a public school kid like my whole life and they, yeah. they really had to chase me off, but they really did. <laughs> and so we chose one down this, down the street. That's a little, a little Christian school. And now we're into long division, Kelly, because Woo, uh, girl, which is as no joke, which feels a little early. And it is partly because at a, at a smaller private school, we're going, we're moving fast, moving fast. Okay. So yeah. I being uh, basically pregnant for the last two years. Um, with your second litter. With my, yes. With my two back-to-back children. Um, I tend to have like pretty unpleasant pregnancies. So I've been a little like not as checked in yes. to parenting as I, as I wanted to be. And so we kind of right. lost some ground doing math. And I realized that a little too late and was like, oh no, we got to get back on this. Well, having given birth to my second of the, uh, second litter of children, I, (laughs) I suddenly 
could do more things and had more energy right. and, and my brain was working. And so I said, okay, like, we're really going to tackle this. We're going to tackle multiplication tables and we're going to tackle long division. Uh, but we had, yes. we had catch up work to do. So we've worked very hard. My oldest daughter and I sometimes two times per day doing multiplication and division practice. And Good uh, for then, you. then she recently got sick, which is a story for another day and was out of school for a week and mm-hmm. we had to come back from that and do the long division test. Like this had been in my, this is, this was like my goal. And I, when I say my goal, mm-hmm. I don't mean my goal for her. I mean, my life goal was for her to get <laughs> <laughs> a good grade on this test mm-hmm. and it's coming up, but we've got spring break before it. I say, great. We got time to work. And I swear, Kelly, I'm not a drill sergeant. I'm kind of a, a easy breezier. I tend to be a little more loosey goosey as a parent than my husband is. But on this, we worked morning and night and we worked about two hours a day. Oh, every day of spring break. Good. Good for you and her. So this week she goes, how many tears? A lot of tears. Actually, Very no, tears. by the time we started when, cause we were doing it regularly, we just made right. it, it, we built it in as part of the schedule. She understood that this was coming and I tried right. not to torture her. Uh, right. And she was getting better at it, which makes it less torturous. Mm-hmm. Right. So Monday she goes back to school. She comes home from school and I say, how did the test go? I'm so anxious to hear about this test. And she tells mm-hmm. me, well, she gives me this long rambling story. I feel like the long rambling story probably isn't going anywhere good. And she's, <laughs> and she says, well, I only finished half of it. <gasps> so stressful so i'm crushed as you know because i call you i'm like all this uh, work yes we really needed a I win was, i was very concerned we really needed a win call. she needed a win uh yeah what what my what my daughter forgot to tell me during the course of that first conversation was that she got to finish the test the next day because she was <laughs> <laughs> she was doing a makeup test so she was having to fit it in in between the other lessons Eight. So key piece of info. That was a really important piece of information. Yeah. 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 Fast forward to the next day when she completes her test, because that was allowed by the teacher. Uh, yeah. My girl got an 88. Oh, victory. Like that's a victory. That's a solid to high B. Like we're, it we're is. in the zone people. That's a B plus. 88 is a B plus. <laughs> we are in the zone and we have some, we have a foundation to build upon, right? So yep. I've been, I've been yep. putting in work and I've been, I was so proud of her and you know, yes. sure, proud of me too, because I did have to relearn <laughs> long division. All right. And you did. So I did. Uh, yeah. But so I did that and that leads me to uh, the, the story that I am probably going to write about on the Substack this week. Um, and now I'm telling you guys, so I have to. So this is good accountability. There's a viral yes. piece uh, in New York Mag uh, that is about whether uh, people should actually be able to raise their children or whether they're basically mm. community property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's entitled, it's an attack on the parents' rights movement. I, I would say yeah. critique, but really, it's more of an, it's just an attack. No, it's not a critique. It's a straight up, yeah. like. Children are not property. The idea, Ugh. the idea that underlines the right wing campaign for parents' rights. So the, the idea is that you and I, as, mm-hmm. as sort of adherence to the parents' rights movement, or in some have yep. some involvement in it, assert that we own our children. Well, I don't really assert that. I assert that I am the primary person for raising my children. Right. Right. 
That's what yes, I say. So she, we, and, and we, in fact, have a right and a responsibility to do so yes. as parents. Now, That's how that works. Now, the writer of this piece, um, Sarah Jones, twists the idea of you and I taking responsibility for being the primary caregivers and raisers of our children and right. and twists it and perverts it into this. She uses, of course, Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The book of Proverbs says to certain right-wing Christians, the concept is simple. A child can be broken or stamped into shape, much like any domesticated animal. Though all parents hope they'll pass their values on to their children, for some that hope is more of a mandate. Okay. Wow, how creepy and nefarious. Yeah, no, no, it's it's so crazy, Kelly, that we would want to pass our values on to our children. Well, <laughs> everybody wants to, but the Christians, the right-wing Christians, are the ones who are doing it bad badly no, i guess it's or just, in bad faith it's just the wrong things being passed down is the problem right so right, she she right, objects right. that people who are different from her would pass down different things and in fact right. uh, it sounds like she came from a christian family and did not appreciate what was passed down to her and switched to other beliefs fine it sounds like she still has a relationship with her parents uh but oh, her well, good for her. but you would think she might understand more than half the country a little better than this, considering she was yeah. raised by Christians. Her her assertion is, this is first paragraph, by the way. We're really getting off to a great start. Authoritarianism is gospel to modern conservatives. Nowhere is that gross. Nowhere is that clearer than in their assaults on children. Our assaults on children, Kelly. Among those assaults, yes. she counts uh, the parental rights movement, which a um, sometimes advocates for not having very sexually explicit books available in middle school and sometimes even high school or elementary school yeah. libraries. That's one of the Correct. things we, we have conversations about that. Also, also just knowing what happens in the classroom right? or, or parents rights advocates sometimes say that like schools should open to teach. That's a thing <laughs> that we argued for. Um, and the thing that gets me about this is she's arguing that conservatives view their children as property and that that property right. is just a thing to be twisted in order to gain more power and authoritarianism right. or something. And at the same time, she argues that they're not private property. She's arguing actually that they are just state property slash public property. Right. And I guess her argument is that we indoctrinate children, but the state would never do that. Because yes, no, yes. no states do that. They're not into that at all. No, no, clearly not. It's, <laughs> it is such a, it's such a bizarre assertion that I am really looking forward to your vivisection. Well, there's also just this. like lack of logic all sorts of misinformation in here and then again yeah the, the thing that's striking about it is just how like normal the stuff is that she's asserting our abuses like she'll she'll take one case of like extreme abuse and turn it into yeah. an argument against regular conservative parents right and like right that's not really what's happening here she also just says normal stuff is bad like wanting to pass on your religious views to your children yeah well, nefarious. I, mean, I grew nefarious. I grew up. I grew up with super liberal. I mean, my dad was an actual socialist, right? 
and I became me. So ultimately, I think what we all want to pass on to our children is the ability to do critical thinking and to grow into who our children are, right? Everybody wants a child who is happier and better than they are. That's my therapist says that, by the way, the goal is not that your children don't go to therapy. The goal is that in like four generations, your children won't need therapy. You just want, you want to get marginally no, better. The 1% than the one before. 1% better, you know, not over the lifetime, exactly. but like maybe over once per month. That's what we do with long division. Anyway, also, exactly. uh, did Sarah push these children out with great pain? I don't think she did. So no, Sarah did not push these children out. And as uh, you may have noticed in my long division story, she was not present. She wasn't doing anything. And uh, therefore I am the primary person and should be the primary person. And she can GTFO with this nonsense. <laughs> and, and by the way, uh, one of the reasons people are upset about this notion and that the parents' rights yeah. uh, groups have sort of coalesced in this way is because when parents needed the public resources that they're, they right. are guaranteed as part of their tax-paying dollars and just like the idea we have of society, that the most important one to them, public school, just went offline yeah. for more than a year and they were told to suck it up and stop complaining about not having their babysitters, perhaps you guys aren't the ones they're going to trust first and foremost from here on out because you called their children a plague with whom you could not be in the same room. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, it's just a crazy oh, idea. But, but, could, but could have minimum wage paid actual babysitters sit in, Zoom sit in a room with yes. them. Yes, sit in a room with them. No, and the, the, the public contract, a, the, the contract was yes. violated and it was not violated by it parents. It was not violated by parents. Well, it was violated by unions plus schools that let them down. Yes. Yes. And gaslit them about it and continue to now tell them, trust us, we know what's best. You know what? You don't. You don't. Well, and, and, in, and in addition to that, the fact that it was so wrong is evidenced by the fact that union leadership is now coming back and trying to rewrite history and memory hole yes. and claim that they, in fact, were advocating for schools to be open, which is the opposite of the thing that happened. Yes. And, and for some reason, we now live, I, I hate this, I hate this term, like a, a post-truth world but where you can just assert a thing and that is somehow now true yeah we're just new truth all right let's see now we're gonna do a couple news stories but not like freak you out news stories uh kelly has one about our influencing our online lives and what it all means what do you got kelly so I read this piece. It's a New York Post piece about how people are getting to like a post-influencer world Mm -hmm. where uh, people in restaurants, particularly in New York, because, you know, restaurants in New York are New York restaurants. And that's if if that's what you're into, that is the only place that food exists. Right. Maybe maybe a little bit in San Fran, like an occasional Chicago. But if that's your jam. Those are the only places that restaurants are good. Um, 
Although I will say Denver has a fabulous food scene and so does my little farm. Hmm. But uh, essentially the argument is that all of these influencers are showing up with their little ring lights uh-huh. and putting them over the top of their food and then taking photos and then Instagramming them. And this becomes a question and it's, I think it's even like a, a larger question of at what point are we living for content creation to the detriment of actual experiences. Right. And I will put the link to this piece in the notes, but, but ultimately I think it just becomes one of these fundamental questions. And I've been really into this whole AI conversation Mm -hmm. lately also is like, okay, at what point are photographers no longer needed or writers no longer needed or journalism or at, at what point can we just have an AI write a script and take our voices and do a podcast for us? Uh, and Andrew Yang, who I follow on Twitter. Shh, I don't give him any too. ideas. What? Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. He, but he wrote, he wrote a super fascinating uh, post this week about a post-work world. Like, what does, what does life look like when work no longer exists? When we can have uh machines or uh artificial intelligence and i don't even know i don't even know if i like the term artificial intelligence maybe like manufactured intelligence starting to create all of this stuff for us and so then what experiences are authentic well right if you and i got to go to new york and got to go to a restaurant would we pull out our phones and take photos of the food yeah probably probably a little bit okay okay here's here was my first reaction to this piece was yeah wait people are using flashes and led lights and ring lights at restaurants who are these barbarians because i (laughs) i have not seen that and i'm so thankful because i will right i will probably do a little too much phone at dinner for the taste of uh, an older generation right like probably more than some but i try to be very discreet to the point that i probably don't even especially if it's a dim restaurant you're not going to get anything good and i i've abandoned that project like i'll I'll very shortly abandon that project that's as it should be because it's right it's dim in there because people are enjoying an experience and the ambiance and a freaking led flashlight is the last yeah. thing that you need while you're having a nice meal. So I'm I'm first but what shocked if it's, that people do this. But what if it's this. your job? What if that's what if that is your job? Then I think like what is if this that's... like is this like uh, children on an airplane where we argue that the influencers need their own section so they don't bother the rest of us? <laughs> I I don't know the answer to that. Right. So you and I have a friend who is a food blogger and that is yeah. her profession and she travels around the world and she and her job is to take photos of food and put them up and write recipes it does it does then relate this question back to like what what is what is experience what does work look like what does the future look like and back to your question of spending two hours a day teaching your older daughter long division how how do you even prepare children for the future in this world and i i think the answer for me and for you is often just like outside 
and trying to live well this is where and ironically we live a lot of our lives online but i think this is one of those things where i think the pendulum is swinging a bit and this this story is about the pendulum swing because some restaurants are banning phones altogether while you're eating and saying please don't take photos of your meal uh and i think that's a reasonable request for restaurateurs to make and yeah. if you don't like it, you can go to a more Instagram friendly restaurant. And some of them are really Instagram friendly. I went to a birthday dinner at a restaurant uh, that has a giant flower wall around a little French looking patisserie that's part of the restaurant. And it's just crying out to be on your Instagram. So nobody's upset when you're over there taking a picture because that's what it's for, right? The whole right, the whole restaurant right. is cute. But that particular spot, of course, is like just designed specific and i'm sure it gets i'm sure it gets them a lot of traffic foot traffic and instagram traffic and so it's it's there strategically however i feel like there there's a it's like a it's like a display set aside and then the rest of us can enjoy our meals elsewhere you don't have to be instagramming the entire meal you know i don't know right yeah and you're right the question is like how much of life are you only experiencing through your phone which is not good. And I actually have set limits on my phone recently to keep myself from absentmindedly going into my phone when I shouldn't be. Uh, But I I do think particularly for kids, we might be on the pendulum swing away from so much engagement online. Or I hope that some of the cultural norms are changing because we have a lot of information that's probably not great for them, which is why I didn't put my kids on Zoom school. Thank you, public schools. (laughs) Well, and that... I think I wrote about that a little bit in the origin story piece because I got so many new Substack subscribers after the piece about my dad. But then also, you know, clearly Substack is doing some big changes, uh, many of which I think are great, right? But it, it is one of these things that part of my... I don't want to say that I was running away from politics to urban farming, but but I think humans inherently hunger for the tangible and the meaning. And it's really easy in the sea of crap online to not be able to pull that source of meaning. Right. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I find that, I mean, to not to go back to the my rant about raising children continuously, but the, this thread is through there because where I find meaning and, uh, and tangible, beautiful experiences is in very actively raising my kids. I enjoy yeah. it. It is fun. We enjoy each yeah. other. I like to have very rich experiences with them. Uh, and so... The idea that uh, Sarah at New York Mag is going to take that experience from me, displace yeah. me, uh, in order for my children to become this sort of public commodity, as opposed to what she thinks yeah. is my private property. They're my children. It's bananas. It's bananas. bananas. I mean, bananas is a, is a nice word placeholder. For yeah. Yeah, as a placeholder for the <laughs> the word that I would like to use for her. Oh man. Um well I have <sighs> I have a news story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This tell one me. this one I feel like is is very much our beat. 
uh, yeah, it has to deal with has to do with uh, federal le- legislation, economics, mm-hmm. incentives, yes. and um, yeah, unintended consequences. Check, check, okay. check, check. This is this check, is our check, jam. Check. Oh, and food. All right, and food. Okay, yeah. So this is from the Washington Post. To comply with a new sesame allergy law, some businesses add sesame. Okay. So it starts... Like, what? Yeah. Wait, uh, just wait till you hear. So it starts with a story about a little girl, four-year-old Mia McDermott, just kept getting sick. Throughout January, she had headaches, vomited frequently, became dehydrated, and every time she got better, she'd get worse again. Even after eating Ugh. one of her favorite foods, a Wendy's cheeseburger, Mia became violently ill, said her mother, Jessica McDermott. McDermott was baffled. Her little girl was allergic to sesame, but she was only eating foods she had always eaten safely. There's another example of a, of a person going through this. Um, parents whose kids have sesame allergies uh, will scour the labels of what their children eat. So the two mothers mm-hmm. in the story were uh, surprised to find that sesame is now listed as an ingredient in the things their kids used to eat safely. Why is this? Well... That's a great question. Why, Why is this? Well, in 2021, the U.S. Congress passed the FASTER Act, which added sesame to a list of major allergens for which uh, food companies have to change labeling to reflect whether sesame is, is in there or not. On January 1st, a law intended to safeguard the more than 1.5 million Americans with a sesame allergy, including the McDermott and Tibbs children, took effect. The law mandates, among other things, Careful cleaning to prevent cross-contact between food products with and without sesame. Now, here's where uh, the reporter and I go different directions. In a twist few would have expected, however, many food companies have chosen to add small amounts of sesame flour to products that were previously sesame-free instead of conducting the careful cleaning required for foods without Ah. sesame. So... Uh this is not unexpected. Not unexpected. Totally yeah. logical. If, if you are a person yeah. who understands unintended yeah. consequences, you can think through right. this and realize that right. what happened is that they made the bar for compliance with being sesame free yeah. much higher and more right. expensive. And therefore, yes. the easier thing to do is to be a sesame yep. product. And so, and the reason this is, is because this is an update of another law that required uh, this for other major allergens. But what they did is they added the cleaning required. That is a new part Uh of the law. So if it were just labeling, I think they would have been, the companies would have changed the labels at some cost. Right. But I think this cross-contamination problem, uh, this cross-contamination cleaning is the issue. Yeah. The result yeah, foods unintended, <clears throat> not unexpected. Right. The result: foods that yep. sesame aller- aller- allergic adults, kids, and adults have eaten safely for years are now potentially a problem for them. So, yep, the very thing they sought to do, they yep. did the exact opposite. And I just yeah. think, and my heart is with those parents who have to wrestle with these labels and figure everything out because it is a real undertaking to protect your kids in this yeah. way um one that perhaps maybe you sh- you know as as sarah pointed out uh that the government might not be fit for that actually sarah um because this is what's become of well-intentioned legislation and s- yeah somebody could have foreseen this right uh, 
And by somebody, you mean anybody who understands how the government implements anything generally has unintended consequences related to it. Yes. Um, Anybody who can do rational cost-benefit analysis and and who understands that companies and food companies are, in fact, not going to be able to implement very expensive and onerous things just because somebody says so they're right. so they're going to find a work so there are there right? are nine major uh, there were eight major allergens until sesame was added in 2021 those right. are milk eggs fish shellfish tree nuts peanuts wheat and soybeans and then we added yep. sesame but again i it does not appear that the labeling is the problem it appears that the right. problem is the extra cleaning which made it much more right. easy to be a sesame product than a non-sesame product. And when that is the case, you are going to get fewer non-sesame products. Now, here's my question. This this yes. passed, I think, like almost un- unanimously. Um, and everybody thought mm-hmm. they were doing something great. I don't fault them for thinking they're doing something yeah. good here. But like, let's think through the implications. Right. Does anyone rethink this and figure out, okay, how can we make this work by, for instance, making it just a labeling requirement versus the cleaning requirement? Or do they declare victory, move on, and everybody who has kids with sesame allergies are just SOL? Um, I believe the second one is what's going to happen. <laughs> and like, we just, yeah. oh, and or, no, but they will, it will come with a siding of scolding the food companies, right? Yeah. yeah. Which I get, right? Like, especially if you were a parent, you're like, oh, come on. Like, you guys, why are we losing this thing? But I think you have to look deeper and understand that there is a reason you're losing the thing. And it's not yep. entirely on the food company, which no, might which no, might I, very I, well not be able to produce food at all if it doesn't change the way it does it so that it can stay in business. It, well, exactly. And especially in this marketplace, right? People respond to incentives. And everybody is, especially in this day and age, are doing cost-benefit analysis on the margins. And so it's it's a reasonable response. But, you know... Once the, and and this is the problem with so much of this is like, what, what is the typical government response? Is it to unwind these rules in order to try to help these parents? Or is it going to be to implement new rules and mandates? Will they come back and say, again, number two, Kelly? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Until finally it just drowns people. And uh, you know, I, I get kind of annoyed with those who constantly quote Reagan, but there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program, right? Yeah. Temporary government rule, temporary government program. If your child is allergic to sesame, we are sorry, but the government is here to help. Well, and this one was widely by, so you have widely bipartisan sounds incredibly benign and good. uh, And had, don't they had a bad, had a bad outcome. And, uh, you know, it seems to me that the wise thing would be to say, okay, well, maybe the cleaning was too strict and that was causing yep. people to become sesame products instead of non-sesame products. So how can we get back to having sesame products? It would be to eliminate this requirement, but I don't think anyone's going to do that. Nope. Anyway, but let them raise your kids. Yeah. Oh, smart. Smart. Anyway, they it, that they are wards of that the state. That story, all that children. story is our beat. If if anything other ever was, 
Um, but and it also just true. a PSA to uh, to the parents out there who might have this issue or adults who might have this issue to check your labels because uh, this change happened and it didn't happen the way that they envisioned it would happen. So we want to do some regular segments on this podcast. The first of which that we're going to try out today is going to be um, FFAQ, which is frequently farming asked questions. <laughs> <laughs> Farming's frequently asked questions. Uh, see, there weren't even any dirty F words in there. Look at us. Okay. Um, so on Twitter, you got a question about goats the other day. And you get lots of yeah, questions about goats. This is a pretty basic one. What What is the question? The real question is, how easy is it to get goat milk? And how is the taste? Because we chatted a little bit about the fact that you... Are largely were largely off dairy yes. uh, for my for my kiddo trying, who who requires it free, of me. Whoo, girl! Like that is quite quite the undertaking for you to give up dairy. Yes. By the way, uh, the state I'm sure would give up cheese in order to make sure <laughs> that your baby's gut is fine. They, they care about him just as much as I do, and definitely and cl- actually more. Clearly, actually more. Clearly, so. Uh, so I responded, great questions. Number one, uh, how easy is it to get goat milk? It depends on the state you live in. Uh, you can go online and find local farms and dairies that are close to you. Also, almost every major grocery store has goat milk available. Um, it tastes different if you get it at the store and it's not necessarily bad, but it tastes, I I would describe it as more goaty. If you get it at the store. And the reason is because it is so highly pasteurized. And I'm a big fan of pasteurization. Some people are really into raw milk. I am not. I think Louis Pasteur was a pretty smart dude who saved a bunch of people's lives. And largely chemically, goat milk is not that dissimilar, whether it's been pasteurized or not. But some people have really, especially hippies, have really strong raw milk views. Right. To each their own on that, as long as you're doing rational risk analysis. If you decide to go the local farm route, I would check to make sure that your farm does regular milk testing, both of the milk. So I send my milk in once a month to a laboratory where it is tested for uh, certain pathogens and then for protein and butter fat and all, all kinds of different things. And also that their goats get regular health tests. Right. So those are those are the two things that I would look for. But the goat milk that you get at the grocery store is as safe as any kind of cow milk that you would buy. Yeah, and since I have experience <sighs> buying goat milk recently, yours is better. Uh, yeah. And Thank you. it does yeah. have a, the one that I get from the grocery store does have a more distinct taste yeah which i don't yeah it's honestly i don't like as much as cow's milk and i don't uh like as much as your goat milk which tastes Mm. remarkably similar i guess it's more similar to cow's milk i would say um yeah however uh it's pretty good as a uh, as a replacement for dairy because it doesn't have um for cow's milk because it does not have some of the enzymes that make it hard for kids my baby in particular to digest yeah so i'm using that it works great in dishes if you don't want to drink it just on its own works great in dishes uh, where you would otherwise use milk or cream. So that's nice. Um, And I also always inform people because you taught me this 
when people think of mm. goat cheese, you think of that one kind of cheese that's at the grocery store and is really tangy right. or comes on your beet salad if you're into that kind of thing. Um, I happen to be. Um, no, and some people no. some people will say... It's one. It's like our one divergence. She hates beets beet. and I like them. It's, a, it's the one thing we disagree on. But some, Dirt people, nuggets. some people will say that's what they are. that they don't like the taste of goat cheese. And I say to them, well, my friend makes goat cheese and you can make goat milk into any number of different kinds of cheeses. This is just the one that gets yeah. into stores. And I would bet yep. that there is some kind of regulation that is the reason that's the only kind that comes into your store. <laughs> oh my gosh. There are so many regulations yeah. surrounding dairy. And one of the reasons that I do not sell milk for human consumption is because just between the regulation and the liability, yeah. I did, this will not surprise you at all. I did a spreadsheet where I tried to figure out how many goats I would have to have just to cover the liability and the regulation and compliance with regulations. And it's so many goats. It's like 79. And I would, if I had 79 goats, I wouldn't like no. It'd be milking goats. Right, right. Right? Like I like to sit down and I like to milk my five and I talk to each of them and I sing them each their own little song as I milk them like a weirdo and that's great for me and if i did it 79 times every time a goat got up on the milk stand i would be like "Mm, i'm done (laughs) i'm done with this so all right well yeah we've talked their ears off today and i hope they enjoy um we will be back with more for now uh enjoy everybody uh hope you have a great week uh we're here just like raising our kids and our kids if you know what i mean thanks for being here <laughs> uh, meanwhile back on the farm you can tweet either of us with some farming frequently asked questions uh at okay maher okay maher or at mk hammer thanks for being with us <laughs>